0: You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to
1: connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Adrian Thomas was born in Tanzania, East Africa, and emigrated to Canada to attend the University of Toronto. After experiencing a life-changing encounter with God at a conference, he attended Eastern Pentecostal Bible College. Adrian and his wife, Sharon, have served for almost 30 years with the PAOC. Since 2004, they have served on the island of Espanola in the Dominican Republic, where they've established Everyday Ministries Canada, which focuses on equipping and empowering hundreds of pastors across the island. In his spare time, he likes to read, collect stamps, run, and enjoy time with his family. Please help us welcome, Adrian Thomas.
2: Good morning, Adrian Courts. I think I can still say good morning, it's just still a few minutes before 12, so good morning. morning. Great to be in the house of the Lord today, isn't it? And just a sense of presence of the Lord. What an amazing worship team you have in choir, amen? Just a wonderful time just praising the Lord and worshiping. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. I'm gonna read in verses 18 through 20. And I'm gonna be reading from the message. I think it's gonna pop up on the screen here eventually, if you don't have a Bible. But as you're looking for that, I just wanna say on behalf of our family, just a, a grateful thanks to this church for your support and prayers, your faithful support and prayers over the many years that we've been in the Dominican Republic in Haiti. I want you to know as a church, listen, we, and I speak on behalf of all missionaries and global workers, we can't do what we do without you. You are a vital part of what God is doing around this world as you invest in the missionaries that you support. So as we sit here in church today, this church is impacting the world to the missionaries and global workers that you invest in, amen? The impact of this church is worldwide. And I can speak uh, of what has happened in the America Republic in Haiti. Yes, God is already working there, but as you invest in us, we're seeing incredible things happen in that country. So thank you, and God bless you. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. A very familiar verse of scripture if, uh, if a missionary or global worker comes to your church, but also a very powerful verse as well. In the, in the message, it reads this. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge, or his command. And he said, God has authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. And this verse makes it very clear that all of us here, God has sent us, God has commissioned us, God has commanded, whatever word you want to use, to go into this messy and complicated and hurting and broken world. And we don't even have to turn on the TV or or look into our social media. Maybe we've already experienced it in our own lives. We live in a hurting and broken world, a messy and complicated world. And two vital relationships in our world today have been broken because of sin. And those two vital relationships are our relationship with God and also our relationship with each other. And the the consequences or the result of having those relationships broken is that we live in a world now where there is racism. There is prejudice. There is prejudice. There is nationalism, there is tribalism, there is exploitation, there is poverty all around us, and there, there's no easy answers. And yet, this is why missions is so important, because I believe, and I think every one of us here today believe the same thing, that the foundation of missions is a call that God has given us to go out into this world to, to restore and to repair and rebuild and reconcile people's relationship with God and also with one another. But because this world is so messy and so complicated and so broken, it makes missions messy and complicated sometimes, more, more often than sometimes. And I live that. We live that for the last 14 years. I've learned that missions is complicated and it can be really messy. Let me just give you two, two illustrations that are, that are happening right now in the Dominican Republic in Haiti. I want you to, to picture a small community. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's suffering, it's struggling. And yet there's, there's people in that community who are trying their hardest. They started businesses, maybe a corner store. There's a pharmacy. You know, maybe there's a, a, dentist, a, a guy who's a dentist there as well. And there's other businesses struggling to, to make ends meet. And maybe they're making you know, maybe 0.5% or 1% or, or 2% profit margin in their business. But they're trying. They're taking their skills and talents and they're trying to, to change the, the economic situation of their community. And then all of a sudden out of the blue comes a foreign agency. And they do a quick survey of that community and they say, yes, this is a, a really suffering community. And so they show up with free clothing, free shoes, free medical help, free, you know, people come and do dentistry for everybody. They come every month and they just give everything for free. They just do it all. And they, they have good intentions. But, as we've seen it happen so often in, the, in, the, in the, the country, the Dominican Republic in Haiti, within a couple of years, the pharmacy closes. They can't compete with people handing out free medication. The guy who, the dentist, the guy who uh, is a dentist, he moves to another community. He can't compete with uh, people coming in and giving free dentistry to everybody in the in the city. The person who fixes all the clothes, they're not needed anymore either because they're showing up with free clothes all the time and free shoes. And you see store after store start to close. And then what happens so often is that agency, after three or five years, they say, uh, "We're done." and they leave. And so they came to that community, they never consulted with the leaders, they never met with the community leaders, they never described what they're all about, and they just up and leave, and they leave the the community in a worse economic situation than it was originally, all with good intentions. But they leave the community off uh, in a worse situation, because so many of those businesses have now left, and so people in that community now have to travel even further to try and get what they need, maybe medicine, or to, uh, to even buy Uh, food or things like that and then another agency shows up and instead of studying the history of that community they jump right in as well they say look at this poor community quickly quickly they need free this and free that and they just the cycle continues and then you have other agencies thank God who come into uh, a community like that and they sit down they meet with the community leaders and they say listen this is what we're about we'd like to help your community we like to transform your community we like to leave your community in a better place than it is now How can we work together to make that happen? How can we partner together? Let's form a a transformational committee made up of members of the uh, the community and some of us as well. And let's plan out a five-year strategy so at the end of five years, your community is in a better place than it is right now. Both of those are very messy and both of them are very complicated. But the one leaves the community in a better place and the other leaves the community in a worse place. One is destructive, and one is constructive. And in the few minutes that I have with you today, I've been asked just to share a little bit of of how we have taken this messy, complicated world that we live in, and the messy complication of missions, and how we try our best to, to do what we can to empower people and to equip people to do what God has called them to do and fulfill the vision that God has given them. We were called to the island of Hispaniola, 14 years ago. And God gave us a very simple, but I believe a very powerful mandate, a very powerful call, as you saw it uh, stated in our, the bio that uh, came up just a few minutes ago. And that was for us to come alongside people of influence, mainly pastors, yes, but leaders, and elected officials, and business people, and just come alongside them and equip, and empower, and enable them to, with any way possible, to fulfill the vision or the mandate, or the call that they have in their lives. And we're not there to duplicate. We're not there to replicate. We're not there to replace. We're not there to displace or compete with existing ministries or local endeavors or local organizations, not at all. Instead, we come alongside those local endeavors and local, local organizations and local churches and local ministries and we do all that we can to work with them to make them better at what they're doing in any way that we possibly can. And that's, that's my drive and passion. I don't know how else to explain it to you. God has given me such a, a supernatural a, a love for the people that God has raised up in the country of the Dominican Republic and Haiti. Like I, I just, I, I'm just driven, I'm just compelled to do all that I can to invest everything that I have, that the passion I have for God, the passion I have for the lost, the passion I have for people, just to pour it into their lives and enable them and equip them to fulfill what God has called them to do. And although we're, in, we're involved in many different types of ministry endeavors, I just want to highlight how we work alongside pastors in the different communities. I'm not saying that what we do is right, but after many years of living on the mission field, this is what we've learned works for us. And at the end of the day, we believe at least people in a better place than they originally were. And so the first step is, is to engage. We're a very relational-based ministry. And many of our ministries and our strategies revolve around relationships. And so the first step we do, and we work with hundreds and hundreds of different pastors in 19 different denominations, and many of them are all at different levels of these elements that I'm going to be sharing. They're not all in one. They're all spread out. But this is how we kind of start. So we'll go into a community, and the first thing we do is we engage with people of influence. We engage with the pastors and leaders of that community. We spend time with them. We we hang out with them. I don't know how I have a better word to use. We just hang out with them, and we hear their story. We listen and learn from them. We hear about their community. We hear about their, 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 their heart and their needs and their vision. We hear about what they want to do to make their community a better place. We hear about the needs in their community, what they really truly need. And we just share life with them. We just do life with them. We go and work with them. We go and work in, the, in, their, in their rice fields or we hang out in their homes over, over coffee or g- some good Dominican food, rice and chicken and beans and we just get to know them and we just, as I said, we just build a relationship with them. That takes us to the second step. And these are some of the pictures of us hanging out with some of the pastors and, and different leaders in, uh, in different communities. And the next thing is, is we, we want to establish a long-term permanent relationship. And so this takes time. I've been in the Dominican Republic 14 years now and, and after 14 years, we are now in some communities we're just now starting to break into those communities. After 14 years of just hanging out with the pastors and leaders, And them getting to know us and us getting to know them, they've finally taken that step of trust in us. And that's a big step of this, is is having trust. We want want to uh, develop a trust and acceptance and recognition within those communities and churches and and leaders of influence in us. We want them to, to believe in our vision. And that takes time. And we want them to know that, yes, we're not here to duplicate or replicate or compete or displace or replace what you're doing we're just here to come alongside you and work hand-in-hand hand with you to, make, to, to transform your community and make your community a better place. And that doesn't happen overnight. That doesn't happen overnight. There's a lot of broken promises, a lot of broken promises in the countries outside of Canada. Many people come with great and mighty promises and they never fulfill them. And so, yes, there's a lot of skepticism when you come into a new nation or a new place or a new community. And you say, we're here to help you. We want to work alongside you. They're like, yeah, yeah, we've heard it before. And so you have to take the time to to build those long-term, permanent, and solid relationships. You have to take time to build that acceptance and trust and recognition. And that, that again, is by partnering with them, doing life together, building their churches, working alongside them, getting involved in their day-to-day lives, and just establishing partnerships with them. And that leads us into the next step for us. And that is, after we have that trust and recognition and that acceptance, we then begin to teach and train and equip the pastors and leaders and people of influence in those communities with the skills and tools and principles and technologies that they need. Not what we think they need, but what they have told us they need and what they've expressed to us they need to help them make their community, to transform their community and help them fulfill their God-given vision. And that, that carries a multiple different areas of, a, of a ministry. There's not only theological skills in training, training the pastors in theological skills, but also the majority of pastors, we work with hundreds and hundreds of pastors from 19 different denominations, and I can count on one hand those that receive a salary. And so many of those pastors are living by faith. They're just struggling to meet their needs, let alone all the needs of their, of their church and their community. They're, they're looking for a little bit of work here and a little bit of work there. Some of them just live off the little bit of offerings that come in, into church on Sunday. And so they, they, they jump at the chance to learn a skill or a talent or, or to be equipped with tools or things that, or technology that, that will help them uh, provide an income for their own families. And so we come alongside a lot of those pastors and we, and we teach them business skills. We teach them how to make a business plan. We teach them some trades. And and just recently, we we repaired the motor of one of our pastors who had a little van and he had a little taxi service. And we invested in his life and repaired the motor in his vehicle so that he could continue to make money for his family. And so we do whatever we can, whatever we can, to bring about economic and spiritual and social transformation in those communities by investing in people in positions of influence leaders and pastors, those who have a voice in the community. We invest in them. We pour our lives into them and we do all that we can to, as I said, to equip them through teaching and training. Because we've learned that when you, when you invest in people of influence in a community, they know their community. They understand their culture. They have a voice in their community. And so it allows them to expertly meet the needs of the community and, and bring about transformation in the community because they already have a voice. They already have a pr- position of influence in those communities. And we've learned over time that the best way to to release someone or to enable someone to equip someone is to create independency, not dependency. And we've seen it, it happens all the time where, where people come in, foreign agencies and agendas come in, and they build things, but everybody relies on their leadership, their technology, and their financial support. And when they withdraw that, things begin to crumble, things begin to fail. And so we work hard, and we really do work hard, I can tell you that, to do all that we can with our programs and everything that we do. Our ultimate goal is to create and produce people that are independent. They're not dependent on us. They're not dependent on us for finances. They're not dependent on us for any more skills or training. They're not dependent on us for technology. They're not dependent on anything else. They're, they're, they're standing on their own. And that leads into our, the next step here, which is also very important, for one, for us. As a Christian... One of the things that is a foundation of every single element that I've shared with you is we pray and we strive and we intercede and we create opportunities, we create an atmosphere where God, God can empower and equip supernaturally the lives of these wonderful men and women. They are trained and equipped and many of them have skills and talents and a passion and vision and they have a tenacity and when you partner that with the Holy Spirit, when you partner that with God, it's incredible what those people are able to accomplish. With God's help and the help of the Holy Spirit, their confidence, their trust, their boldness, their perseverance and their faith is so strong and rock solid. They're not shaken. They're not going to be shaken. And so this this part about empowering, it it infiltrates every single one of the elements that I've talked about right from the very beginning when we engage with a pastor, when we pray with them and spend time with them. And finally, the last one here is to enable. And this this is what brings me joy. This is what... This is what life is all about for me. It's to get people to this point, where we can release them fully, as self-supporting, self-governing, self-propagating pastors and leaders in people in positions of influence. We release them to walk on their own. When they can stand on their own two feet, and they can strive to fulfill their vision with their own passion, their own tenacity, their own initiative, their own creativity, their own dependence. And they're making their own decisions. They're, they're equipping and empowering other people. They're equipping and empowering their churches. They're impacting their community. They're bringing about transformation in their community on their own. They're standing on their own two feet. And if you don't remember anything else I say to you, to you today, I want you to remember this line because for us, this is so vitally important. Success is not measured by what we do for others. Success for us is measured by what people are now able to do for themselves. Let me say that one more time because I want you to remember this. <laughs> success is not measured by what we do for others. We measure success by what people are now able to do for themselves. Amen? Amen. And I, as I said to you, I, I know sometimes I get a little passionate about things but it's just so, it just, it's just a burns in every cell in my body but I, like, uh, missions, yes, is complicated. And I'll just show a last slide here. Um, and it's all about long-term relationships and partnerships. And it doesn't always look like the way we expect. And it doesn't always turn out the way we envision because you're dealing with, with people. And it's often messy and hard and complicated. But I want to tell you something today. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Fourteen years later, and now we have a network of, as I said, hundreds and hundreds of pastors all in the Dominican Republic and in Haiti from 19 different denominations and just to see what God is doing through so many of those pastors. Yes, many of them are different, at different levels, but those that are at that last level who are now enabled and released and to see what they're doing in their country and in spite of setbacks and victories and, and changes and, and all the things that come, that hardship sometimes of living on the mission field and you take one step forward and three steps back, I want you to know it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. And in closing, I just want to leave you with an example of a pastor that to me is an example of hundreds and hundreds of pastors that we, we work with. And he's at that enable level now. He's, he's on his own. He's, he's going way beyond we could ever take him. But when we first met Pastor Martires, he was a struggling pastor. He rarely smiled. It seemed like he had the weight of the world on his shoulders. Just when you saw him, it was like just, he was at the point of willing to give up. And all we did at the beginning was we just hung out with him. We prayed with him. We ministered to his family. We had meals with him. He came and had meals with us. We visited his church. We worked alongside him. And we just cons- con- consistently just encouraged him in his walk and in his call. And just prayed over him and, and, and tried to build him up in his, his walk as a pastor. And I'll never forget, he came to one of our conferences. We have about four regional conferences uh, uh, each year, uh, between 600 to 1,200 pastors and leaders. And he came to one of those. I still remember him coming and we had invited him and finally he had come to one of our teaching and training sessions at this conference and he kind of sat at the back you know with this guy's arms kind of closed it's like i'm not really i don't really want to get anything today but god broke through in a powerful way in that life of that pastor i remember him coming to the front with just tears just streaming down his face and the the guest speaker went down and there were many many pastors that responded but that guest speaker took time to speak into the life of every single pastor that came to the front that, that, that guest speaker was at the front for over three and a half hours, ministering to each person individually. And they got to Pastor Martyrus, and they began to pray over him and speak to him. And something just broke in him, something amazing. There was a, a spiritual, supernatural change in his life, and he just, the smile, and a weight that was released from his shoulders. And I know today, right now, as we're in this service right now, he's in the Dominican Republic in a thriving, growing expanding church. One of the strongest and fastest growing churches in the city of Nagua is his church. He's enabling, equipping others. His church has moved from a receiving church to a giving church, now to a sending church. They're sending Dominicans to other areas of of the Dominican Republic and even into Haiti as missionaries. And when I meet him, he hugs me so hard. And he just hugs me. And every time it's, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for praying for me. Thank you for investing in me. And I look at him and I see him as just one of the examples of many pastors that are now helping with the help of God and the Holy Spirit. They're making an eternal impact on his nation and the world. Missions is complicated and it's messy, but it's worth it. It's worth it. God bless you.
1: Matt James was born in Ottawa, Ontario and moved to Toronto where he served on staff at Corps Church for 10 years. Since 2006, Matt has served with the International Missions team of the PAOC as the National Director for the Short-Term Missions Network and Manager of Global Volunteers. Matt loves global workers and is passionate about providing excellent training for volunteers to work alongside them. He also champions the next generation of mission workers throughout Canada. Matt and his wife, Heather, have two kids, Emma and Ty. He loves Apple products, reading autobiographies, camping, bonfires, and playing volleyball and softball. Please help us welcome Matt James.
0: Some of those pictures were obtained without my consent. Is it Jeff Muir or Mike Nelson? Who do we blame? I'll find one of those guys. Aging Court Church, it's good to be back. You're still here. Ren Riegert, you're like Jesus, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Have you moved since I was last here? Awesome people, I love this place. In 2001, I was holed up in my office somewhere behind the balcony up there. In those days, they had the youth department sequestered from the rest of the adults. The the real pastors, I don't know if they were worried that we were going to infect them with something, some of the craziness we were up to, but I was up there in my office, praying, interceding, and uh, Pastor Mark McKnight, do you remember this guy? He was the assistant pastor at the time and one of my mentors, and he knocked on my door and interrupted my prayer time, actually, he woke me up, and uh, I, was, I was dreaming about what could happen on mission with Aging Court. you know, those kind of things, and he said, I've got good news and I've got bad news for you, which one do you want first? Uh, I said, give me the bad news. He said, you know that short-term missions team that I'm leading and you're, you're assisting me on? We're going to Thailand. He said, I can't go. Something's come up. And I thought, what's, <laughs> that's not bad news. Woo, I'm in charge, right? <laughs> so I said, what's the good news? And he said, you're in charge. <laughs> you have to lead this thing now. And I thought, oh, yay, because they were adults, on the team, and for the first time ever, I was going to be entrusted with the care of adults in another country. And I was worried for them. So we both prayed for hours after and, you know, but we packed up our bags, our hockey bags full of dollar store junk from Canada to toddle off to to Thailand and save Thailand. Really, what I was thinking back in those days was that all that a country needed, 70 million people, 92% Buddhist, was my short-term missions team. And then they'd accept Jesus. You know the long-term work of all these missionaries that had been there for decades? (laughs) They just needed our dramas and our skits. Do you remember the sin skit that we used to do everywhere or the broken heart skit? They just needed us to do those in their streets, in their markets, and they'd, they'd just give up on Buddhism and they'd accept Jesus Christ. So Peter DeWitt, you guys remember that missionary guy? He got a real kick out of me, and he said, why don't you, you think you're so hot from aging court there with the, the gospel and all that, and you think you can expediate what we've been trying to do here for a couple of decades? He said, why don't you go talk to those two monks over there? They're your age. Um, well, they're high, they were like teenagers. He said, you're used to talking to teenagers, so why don't you just walk over there and talk to them and see how it goes? So, I spent a couple of minutes talking to them, and he was behind me making faces and holding up his watch and asking me if I was done yet, that kind of thing. And I wrapped up my, my conversation with them. It was limited. And uh, I went over to Peter, and he said, How did it go? Did they accept Jesus? I said, I have no idea. He said, You know why? They don't speak English and didn't understand a thing you said. <laughs> Classic short term missionaries. So, do we get involved? Are we, are we still supposed to go? Is God compelling us to be a part of what he's doing around the world regardless? Yes. You know, back in the day when I was here, the mission's DNA was baked into me from great pastors who have been involved in missions for decades. You know, I was just in Zambia and someone said, do you know that building over there was built by Agent Court Work Teams? and I was able to see the long-lasting impact of the mission activity of this great church. It's a privilege to have been here for the years that I served. And I wanna encourage you today to not stop being involved in what God's doing around the world. Guess what? We do not pack him up and put him in our suitcases. We don't bring God to places where he's not. He's everywhere, he's omnipresent. He is active and involved in the world. And he loves it. And there's people around the world of various cultures and nations, and they believe in him too, and they're doing great things in their countries. I grew up at Woodvale Pentecostal Church in Ottawa, where Pastor Keith Smith was my senior pastor growing up. My favorite seat in the entire church was in the very back, and it happened to be that there was one row that was underneath the coat racks. Yeah, great seat. Especially in winter, because we would get back there behind the coats and we would just fool around as junior hires and and young people. Every once in a while, though, a special guest speaker would come to the church, a missionary. And so we'd part the coats like the Red Sea and we'd look out at what someone different was saying. They were telling us great exploits of things that they would do in faraway countries. And we wanted to hear these different messages. Back in those days, missions seemed simpler, at least we thought it. it had a bit of a formula. It was built on the fact that white people would leave the West and they would usually go somewhere in Africa, which, by the way, is not a country. It's got 54 countries in it. They'd land somewhere in Africa, probably Kenya. That's where the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada was heavily invested. And they would reach and work with far away, rural, very off-the-beaten-path tribes and bring the gospel of Jesus to them. And they would come to our churches and they would set up their tables. They'd have pith helmets and snake skins and different things you could touch and hold and, and dream about being a missionary. And they would share the same stories. They would share the same scripture verses. They were almost like carbon copies of each other, a lot, often wearing those really bad, ill-fitting African shirts. And they would preach things like, The harvest is plenty, the workers are few. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. But what happened in my mind then was that I had this idea that that verse was exclusively for me in the West because I had money to go. And it was about me going as a missionary to lost and dark and broken places. I would leave my comforts and I would live in poor and underdeveloped nations that are totally foreign and totally lost. This comes from a broken understanding of Jesus' mission strategy that he gives to his disciples and all the listeners in Acts 1 verse 8, where he said this, but when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power to testify about me with great effect. And he goes on to say to the people in Jerusalem, that would be your immediate neighborhoods. And then to Judea, that would be a neighboring uh, around, a little broader out. And then in Samaria, perhaps a little bit further, maybe outside of the province, perhaps into the neighboring countries. And then he says the gold words to the ends of the earth about my death and resurrection. problem is sitting there in those times, and maybe even it still happens for us in the, in the west or the first world, the developed nations, is that we hear these commands through a certain lens of superiority. Maybe some ethnocentrism is kind of creeping in, and we say, this is for us. We're the heroes, they're the victims, we're just going to help. Poor them. And it influences our mission strategy in negative and incredibly condescending ways. And when I usually ask people to describe the ends of the earth, you know, they come up with the same stuff. And I'm sure if I had time to poll you today, you'd answer in the same way. What do the ends of the earth look like? They're lost. They're pagan. They're dark. They're undeveloped. They're remote. They're uneducated. They're poor. They're uncivilized. They're backwards. And we started to have this idea that the duty of all Western Christians was that we would go and not only bring the gospel, but we'd fix everything that was broken. It's a broken world, and fixing our world is one of our challenges. We're told here that we're made to go and make disciples in all nations and to the ends of the earth. How do we do this in healthy ways? Well, we got a lot wrong. We, instead of making it about evangelism and disciples, we went on an imperialistic crusade, and we started to tell people what they should do and act like and look like, handing out clothes to people, saying, you should be wearing this, this is proper. Here's a written language as if they didn't have one of their own, perhaps giving them medicine that was uh, against anything that they were used to in their own places and having hymnals, of course. Everyone needs a hymnal. Trust me, I've been around the world. I just got back from a whirlwind trip with my son in whom I am well pleased over there. And we went to Ethiopia, Zambia, Zimbabwe, uh, Botswana, and we were in the water in Namibia, so it counts. He put a pin in his map. Uh, as an extra country. And we, we went there, and trust me, it's the same. We've done a great job exporting what we do here. It's four fast songs, three slow songs, offering announcements, and a sermon. We've done a great job. Wait till they find out what we're doing with fog machines and lights now. There'll be containers shipped over around the world filled with fog machines. But maybe... Just maybe making disciples is more complex than that. And maybe it's a global duty of all believers, not just the West or the ones with money or enough resource to trot around the world and do these things. Believe it or not, missionaries have been to Tajikistan. Everybody say Tajikistan. I love that word. And there are Bible reading Christians there. They have their Bibles in Tajiki. And picture one day, Mr. Tajik, because I don't have a better name for him he decides to read his Bible and he comes across Acts 1 verse 8 and he reads it and the Holy Spirit shows him that he too has a mission to make disciples around the world. So he pulls out his trusty map. By the way, his trusty map is on his iPhone 8. Trust me, people have technology and data plans. We were just in Zambia where I got six gigs of data for $3. Guys, we're getting ripped off here. That's the truth. But they're all on Instagram, and they're all doing selfies, and I'm friends with a ton of Zambians now. Globalization is wonderful. So they're out there, they're looking up the map on their iPhone 8, and they look it up and they see, well, he says, uh, my Jerusalem must be around me on my street. It's number six, Tajiki Road. And, and then his Judea is more like outer Tajikistan, and then possibly some of the other stands. And that Central Asia, that band across the Middle East, including parts of North Africa, they're probably his Samaria. But then he says, I've got to go to the ends of the earth. The Bible tells me so. So he picks up his iPhone and he does the map to the other side and he says, wow, Toronto, Canada. That's quite the realization for us, isn't it? To realize that we live in someone else's ends of the earth. That should absolutely change how we do mission, because they're coming to us. Guys, get ready. They're coming to us. They're here already. How will we open our doors and work with them really shapes how we would want to go and work with them on their turf. Turns out the smarter that we have become, the more complicated missions has become. As we've realized that everybody reads the Bible and the commands that are in there are for everybody, it changes our actions. It changes our mission, it changes our course and our direction. We have this global shared responsibility now to make disciples in all of the nations around the world together. So it changes how we go. Your Jerusalem is someone else's ends of the earth. And your ends of the earth is someone else's Jerusalem. It's their home base. It's their passport country. It's their city. And if I've learned one thing about humanity in my travel is that they love where they're from. Getting to Canada isn't always the golden ticket we think it is. There are some crisis countries where, yes, absolutely, they don't want to be there right now. But trust me, they love their countries and they want to help. They want to do good. They want to fix things, and we should come alongside and partner with them with their ideas. So, given the description of the ends of the earth, you know what this means about where we're from? The Toronto area. We just live down the road in Pickering. By the way, this is our gang sign if you're ever coming through Pickering. <laughs> we just live down the road in Pickering. The GTA is now poor, uneducated, dark, uncivilized undeveloped, and needs help. Yeah. Are we open? Yeah. Are we willing? Because that changes everything about how we go. It changes everything. My friend tried to untangle the word missions one day. Got it here on the screen. He said this, Missions today is just the global exchange of Christians doing kingdom work. I like that. That's tidy. A global exchange of Christians doing kingdom work. It's not just people from the resourced West, going around the world with their resources, handing things out. It's mutuality. It's us seeing others as just as capable to make a difference in their community as we can, in fact, more capable. you know why? They know the language. They know the culture. And they have a heart for their country. So it's this mutual, beautiful exchange of people from around the world who care just as much about where they're from as you do. This can be unsettling for us. We always thought we were the true Jerusalem, the center of Christendom, the pinnacle of our faith. We don't need help. We give the help. Come on. And it continues that hero-victim mentality. We put on the cape. We need a victim. We need someone to help. We need someone who's desperate. that's the only way we can feel good about ourselves. Look at our Christian culture, our large buildings, our resources, and our church merch. There's enough stuff here to destroy the rest of the world. And we put it in bins and we cart it off and we say, you need this. And there's people around the world who are hearing that they are poor from the first time from our mouths. Can't imagine being on the end of that statement. Since leaving this church, by the way, I haven't had a chance to tell you 10 best years of my life working here. Thanks for having me. Some of you are like, I wasn't here, and it's a good thing I wouldn't have had you, it's fine. (laughs) I left here in 2005 to work with the Short-Term Missions Network, partnered with the Pentecostal Sembites of Canada in the International Missions Department. I'm going to take a breath. (sighs) Since then, we've been sending about 40 global volunteers every year around the world to try to partner up with missionaries and locals to help them with their ideas and make a difference. It's been a big part of my life since leaving here. And that stuff, I got it here. I got it here from this great church with great leadership and, and missions-minded people. And now, guess what? Good news. Uh, Agent Court Church supports my ministry. I'm back on the payroll, Agent Court. And it feels good. John, thanks. It's been a privilege to work with short-termers, mid-termers, and long-termers going on mission. Let me tell you briefly about Liz Marshall. Liz Marshall, when she came to us, by the way, I have a huge growing group of early retirees who want to go on mission. They say, I'm finished my job, I'm finished making my income, but now I want to make a difference in the world. I have time. I have a pension and I want to go. I don't even need to raise very much money. So Liz goes off around 65 years old and she says, I want to go to Zambia. I want to mentor young men and women and I I want to leave behind a legacy. And it's not about me, it's about these Zambians. So here she is hanging out with a couple of uh, her youths there in Zambia and uh, she's an incredible woman, loves young people. But she decided to invest in a few people. First person I want to show you is Brenda. I sat with Brenda a couple weeks ago. This is my picture. I was with her at the uh, Bible college in Kitwe, Zambia. And I said to Brenda, tell me what, uh, what Liz has meant to you. And she said, Liz means the world to me. She has invested in me. She has taught me everything she knows. And now that Liz is gone, I can continue on the work. I asked her to show me what Liz had built. She, she pointed to herself. <laughs> She said, there's, there's nothing, really. She just spent a lot of time with us. As Adriana shared, mission is really about hanging out. And guys, that doesn't look great in newsletters. And global workers have a tough time selling their work when they're telling you, I'm just building relationships. We struggle giving to that. Get off your wallets. Give to relationship. It's worth more than anything that can be built in this world, structure-wise. So, Brenda... You know what Brenda's doing? Brenda started a microfinance program, small little infusions of capital to let women start businesses and get economically safe and uh, independent on their own now. And Brenda does a weekly Bible study with the women in her community, and she's encouraging. She goes, do, does home visits. This is all stuff that Liz encouraged her to do. Uh, Liz also uh, spent some time with a young man named Ben Rogers Murithri. And Ben Rogers is like the local youth pastor for the race course community slum in Kitwe, Zambia. And Ben Rogers had this idea that that a lot of these kids who love football, by the way, football being not the ball that you throw, but the ball that you kick, right? That's the right way to call it, who love this game, football, but didn't have a league and didn't have any organization. Ben Rogers started the Barnabas of Hope Sports Academy, and he has leagues through all of the ages of Zambian kids playing football. And he has created a team called the U20 Elite. And they are playing against big cities all across Zambia. And their hopes and dreams are at some point to get out of Zambia and play other African countries and make it big to the pros. Ben Rogers has invested in another guy called Langwe Mulenga, who we hung out with. He was our host for the week. And these Zambians, they're doing great things in Zambia. The Canadian has gone home. Liz is now hanging out in Onion Lake, northern Canada, working with Aboriginal tribes saying, uh, this is a shorter flight, Matt. She's in her mid-70s now. Shorter flight, Matt, and uh, this is more my speed. I love the Liz Marshalls of the world. Zambians are doing great things. Cultures around the world are doing amazing things to help themselves. And it's our privilege to partner with them. A word about millennials for a moment. I love this group of people. If you spend any time on social media, you've probably, unfortunately, been wrongly influenced that this is a group that's not going to do much with their lives. Let me tell you something about them. They're not harnessed with the same things that you and I need. They don't need the same salaries. They, they're, they're hustlers, man. They're on the grind and they do side jobs and they work and they don't need necessarily insurance plans like us. They're not gonna get trapped in mortgages like us. And they're doing great things for God around the world. Invest in a millennial. Give them a classic. If you hear they're going on mission, is this allowed? I don't know. Give them a classic Pentecostal handshake. It's that handshake where you shake hands with them and you started out with a 50 and when they pulled away, the 50 was in their hand. Help them out. Millennials are doing great things. Pentecostal handshake, that's right. (laughs) So what are we learning about these global uh, volunteers, people who are doing mission work well? Development, not relief. They're focusing on things that develop communities. They're building schools. They're building medical clinics. It's not just about handing out water and granola bars. That's not required. It's not a crisis situation. So they're getting involved in development. They're focusing on partnership, working with the locals, not ownership. If we own projects, then we have to transfer them when we leave. And that's difficult. People love things that they start. So we're getting behind people around the world who are starting their own initiatives. And then when we walk away, nobody notices. I think it's how it was intended to be. And the last thing is more local solutions, less outsider ideas. These are brilliant people. Strong, confident, resilient, resourceful. And we need to get behind their ideas and stop telling them what we would do. On our way out of Zambia, my son and I were waiting in the airport. This is him here. By the way, he was dedicated on this platform as a little baby on our last Sunday here, and now he's a giant. (laughs) Cutting off the food source at home might help, I think. But we're hanging out here at the Lusaka Airport, and I hear these Zambian guys talking, and I'm listening and I'm intrigued because they're talking about the politics of the time They're talking about their government, they're talking about corruption, they're talking about poverty, and I'm eavesdropping. So I get up and I walk over, and I go listening to them a little bit, and then I just introduce myself and I said, guys, I'm fascinated with what you're talking about. Tell me more about it, and he's like, these guys are saying, we're we're passionate about fixing things in Zambia. We want to make a difference, and they had a book on their table. Check it out. Why Nations Fail, The Origins of Power, Prosperity, and Poverty. So three Zambian guys reading this book, trying to make a difference in their communities, in their world. I said, guys, how can I help? And their answer was brilliant. Give us some space. Give us some time. Give us some patience. We care about these things more than you do. But we just need to do it at our pace. We need you to come and support us, yes, yes. But we're on it, brothers. Trust me, we care. I walked away from there thinking, I want to do things different from now on. I want to do things different. So in closing, what does this stuff mean for the future of missions? There's a couple of questions that, that come to mind. How will we receive people who are coming to Canada? Will we partner with them? Will we say, absolutely, your idea sounds good, that it might work here. We're willing to get behind you, Tajiks who come here to Canada, who want to reach Canadians for Jesus. Will we allow them to minister to us, to reach our cities, and to teach us what they've learned about faith and the gospel? Will we have open ears to hear? Will we listen? Will we be sensitive to their ideas? Will we host them? Will we resource their efforts? Or, and will we celebrate their successes? Or will we just ask them to make an appointment to see the pastor sometime midweek? And then, how will we go? Will we go as servants instead of superstars? Will we recognize and respect local Christians and church that's already present and active and vibrant? Are we willing to learn from them and be students of their culture? And will we realize that God is doing something unique in their context? and just join what God is already about. So, do we need more global workers for the cause? Absolutely. In a moment, you're going to see a video with the director of our mission agency for the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. His name is Murray. And he's making an appeal right now that we would raise up 100 new global workers in the next five years. I'm believing that maybe five or 10, uh, something audacious, perhaps even 15, could come from Agent Core Church and Claire Lee Church. I'm believing for numbers from this great mission-sending church. You may be sitting here today, right now, and saying, I want to do something, and you should. Keep in mind, it's complicated. 3.1
3: billion. How long would it take you to count to that number? If you counted one number every second without breaks, without eating or sleeping, it would take you 98.3 years. According to the Joshua Project, that number represents the number of individuals without access to the gospel because the church in their community is so small or non-existent. There are places in the world where you could shake the hands of 100,000 people and not meet one believer. That is 3.1 billion individual names. 3.1 billion dreams, 3.1 billion hopes, 3.1 billion fears. Our God not only knows their names, their dreams, and their hopes, He knows the very number of hairs on each head. And His love is so great that He sent His own Son to die for them. In Acts 13, we see the First Church, a local church in Antioch, a church just like yours, sending Paul and Barnabas out to do the work that God had prepared for them, to proclaim His Word. Over the last 100 years, churches just like yours from all across Canada have sent over 3,000 Canadians to share the love of Christ to people all around the globe. This is your story. This is our story. Collectively, we have seen God plant over 50,000 churches we've seen over 12 million people come to Christ. Over 35,000 pastors and leaders have been trained in the 54 colleges God has enabled us to establish. Today, there are over 13,000 local leaders preparing for ministry. Our workers have also fed the hungry. They've given water to the thirsty. They've cared for the widow, for the orphan, for the refugee, for the migrant, for the prisoner. The God that so loved the world wants us to continue to work with Him to bring good news to the 3.1 billion people that have little or no access to the gospel. Moms, dads, boys and girls, all created in His image. God's call that has been central to who we are must continue to beat strong in the heart of every believer and every church. God wants people from every walk of life and vocation to respond to His call. What is God saying to you? Would you consider joining our team of committed global workers and go where God calls? Over the next five years, we want to send 100 new workers into God's harvest field. If God is calling you, we need you.
0: Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.